Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see the wonder of your all-encompassing rule, to understand it and to feel its comfort as well as its challenge. Uh, the fact that everything in our lives is ruled over by you according to your big plan. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a verse in the book of Proverbs that uh, teaches a very profound truth. Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's like saying that if I flip a coin, like this coin, and it's tails, then God controlled that result. God controlled the fact that it ended up tails. God didn't just know what the result would be, but God gave the result. The result was from the Lord. God gave me tails. So everything that happens is part of God's plan. Ephesians 1.11 says, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That is everything. And that even includes bad things. Isaiah 45 verse 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So this includes the current disaster that the world is facing, which is affecting all of us, of course. Uh, we can't back away from the fact that this is from the Lord, along with everything else that happens, from the rise and fall of nations to the fate of every COVID-19 cell and where it ends up, washed off my hands with soap down the sink or from my finger into my eye, into my system where it multiplies. It all comes from the Lord. God controls it all. Christians call this God's sovereignty, that is his absolute rule over all things. Or another word for it is God's providence, which is God's sovereignty as it affects us. It can be a very difficult thing to believe that God controls absolutely everything, big or microscopic, um, not only because it makes God so much bigger than, than we can possibly conceive, but also because we have to come to the terms with the fact that God is behind the hard things that affect us personally, along with the good things. Today, I hope we're going to see why it's important for us to believe in God's providence. What do we gain from seeing everything that we experience as being from the Lord? The lady whose adult son dies before her, who concludes that if God could have stopped it, God would have stopped it. What does she have to gain from believing in God's providence? The man who endured an awful upbringing at the hands of terrible parents, who concludes that God wasn't there. What does he have to gain from believing in God's providence? The girl who looks ahead to where the world seems to be going and despairs. What does she have to gain from believing in God's providence? Well, every story that has happened in the world, big or small, uh, is, a small is a story of God's providence. But Joseph's story in Genesis is written to emphasise God's providence at a, at a key point in his plan for the world. We heard the first half of Joseph's story last week. He was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob who carried the covenant promises 
through which God would bless the world. Uh, Joseph was the first son of Jacob's favourite wife, Rachel, which made him the favourite son. And he was given a special robe to show Jacob's favouritism towards him. His ten older brothers were insanely jealous of him and made a move to murder Joseph and only at the last minute decided to make some money out of him and selling him into slavery instead. He ends up in a big man's house in Egypt where he does well as a slave, but through no fault of his own, he ends up in prison. He does well in prison and makes a powerful friend by interpreting his dream. But again, through no fault of his own, Joseph ends up being forgotten. All of this was shaping Joseph and preparing him for a major role in God's plan. When the time comes, Joseph is remembered and he's brought before Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And God gives Joseph such knowledge and wisdom that Pharaoh puts him in charge of the whole country to steer Egypt through the awful famine to come, which the dreams had foretold. The famine hits, but Joseph is prepared. He had stored up oceans of grain such that people from all over the world were coming to him to buy. But God's intention wasn't just to save lives generally, it was also to save and direct his people specifically through uh, setting Joseph up in this way. In chapter 42, which is our passage for today, begins our passage for today, uh, the famine has hit Canaan as well. And Jacob sends his 10 oldest sons to Egypt because he has heard that there is grain to be bought there. They go and they bow before Joseph, whom they don't recognise. He looks like any other Egyptian by now. And uh, in doing so, they fulfil the dream that uh, had enraged them so much back in chapter 37 when Joseph dreamed that his family would bow before him. They don't know that Joseph, whom they don't recognise, can understand their language. And he learns from their conversation how guilty they still feel for what they had done to him. Joseph feels very deeply towards his brothers. He wants to be kind to them, but he has to play it very carefully. He makes a plan to make sure that they come back and this time bring his little brother Benjamin with them and he sends them home. In chapter 43, their father Jacob is forced to let them go back with Benjamin because the famine is getting worse and they need more grain. When they come before Joseph a second time, with Benjamin this time, he is very generous to them, but he has another plan waiting. He frames Benjamin for stealing his silver cup. And it's a test to see whether the older ten brothers would sell out Benjamin the way that they had sold out Joseph 20 years earlier. But they pass the test. Judah steps up on behalf of Benjamin and his father. At that point, Joseph loses it and reveals his identity with a huge outpouring of emotion. His brother's first reaction is anxiety, but Joseph reassures them that he's not going to take revenge on them. He can see that everything that happened was part of God's plan for a greater good. Joseph then sends them back to fetch their father so that the whole family can come and live in Egypt. Jacob, a very old man, asks God's permission to leave the promised land and God grants that permission. Then the family moves to Egypt 
and Joseph settles them in a very good situation there. The last three chapters of Genesis are basically about the departure of Jacob and then Joseph from this world. Jacob's chief concern in his very old age, as he nears his death, was passing God's blessing to the next generation. When I die, take my body back to Canaan and bury me there, says Jacob. He was dying in Egypt, but he wanted his family to keep their eyes on God's promises and keep waiting for the promised land. And he was very deliberate in the way that he blessed the next generation. In chapter 48, he blesses Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, with the blessing that would normally go to his own firstborn son. In chapter 49, Jacob proclaims the destiny of all 12 of his sons, a blessing for some, especially Judah and Joseph, and not so much for others like Reuben. And then Jacob dies and a great procession goes from Egypt to the family tomb in Canaan. Home is where God's promises are. And then the procession returns to Egypt. When their father is gone, the brothers worry that again that Joseph will take his revenge on them. But again, he reassures them. Chapter 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So then don't be afraid. At the end of the book, we fast forward to Joseph's death at 110 years old, which according to the Egyptians was the ideal age to live to. And again, Joseph makes his family swear that they will take his bones and bury them in Canaan one day. So his whole adult life was lived in Egypt, and that's where he was made, in a sense, but his heart was always in Canaan uh, with God's promises. So it's an epic story, and the main theme is God's providence. Some people call it karma, some people call it fate, some people call it serendipity, but it's made clear that it was God who was weaving all the threads together to form an end picture that he had already designed in his plan. And I'd like, to, I'd like us to notice how the knowledge that God was at work in everything made a difference to the faithful here, especially to Jacob and Joseph. It made a real difference to how they viewed and how they lived their lives to believe that God was in control of everything. In particular, when we look back to the past in the light of God's providence, it can help us make peace with our past. And then when we look forward to the future, in the light of God's providence, it can help us to see hope and meaning rather than random chance ahead of us. So firstly, looking back to God's providence and making peace with the past. It could be that we all need to make peace with various aspects of our past, things that have happened to us or people maybe who have wronged us. In Jacob's case, he was a very old man by this stage and he receives a very happy ending to his life here. Um, he did it the hard way throughout his life. Uh, he was slow to learn the lessons from God. Um, but in chapter 48, verse 15, as he holds his two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons, on his knees and blesses them, he refers to God three ways as he reflects back. Firstly, this is uh, chapter 48, verse 15. 
He refers to God as the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully. So he knows God as a God who walks with his people. And that was his experience too. He walked with God. He knew God personally. Uh, he looked back on his life as a life in which he had the immense privilege of walking with God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, um, I also have had that privilege as a Christian. Um, when we look back, we can wonder at the fact that we have been walking with God throughout our life. That is an incredible thing. Secondly, Jacob describes God as the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. So God was protecting and providing and guiding all through his life. And when he looks back, he can see how that uh, worked. So God actively works in the lives of his people for their good as a shepherd works in the life of his sheep. All the blessings that we have, we have them because God brought us to them as our shepherd. And thirdly, uh, Jacob describes God as the angel who has delivered me from all harm. Jacob looked back to the way that God had saved him. And a Christian, of course, can do likewise. I know that the fact that I'm saved in Christ is all of God's doing. He steered me and he's handled me such that now I am in Christ. I'm a Christian. Uh, I could have gone in any number of directions and fallen prey to any number of dangers throughout my life. And I can see some of them that, that were avoided. And it was because God delivered me. And he handled me such that now I'm in Christ. If you can look back on your life and see God's providence at work, then you also will be able to praise him for bringing you to this point where you know him and you know his care. He's been your friend. He's walked with you. He's been your shepherd. He's been your redeemer. And that was Jacob's testimony as he looked back on his life in the light of God's providence. Joseph was the same, and he is the prime example of making peace with one's past in these chapters. Some people hold grudges, and they nurse grudges and huge chips on their shoulders uh, for things that have passed. Some hold a grudge against God. Some hold a grudge against people who have wronged them. Uh, Joseph held neither against God nor against people. His brothers, of course, intended to kill him, but sold him into slavery instead because they were jealous that he was the favourite. It was the most incredibly cruel thing to do, even though the sound of his, that it was so bad that the sound of his cries still haunted them 20 years later. They know it was an awful thing to do. It was still on their consciences. But here is what he said to his brothers when he had them at his mercy in chapter 45, verse 5. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And in chapter 50, when they fear his revenge after their father died, he says, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Seeing God's hand in your past helps you to make peace with your past. 
and it helps you to forgive the people in your past who have hurt you, as Joseph forgave his brothers for their cruelty to him. If you can look around you now and say, well, I know God, I know Christ, I have salvation, I have eternal blessing waiting for me. If you can look at yourself now and know that that's true, then you can look back on your past and think, well, it was all of that that got me here, even the bad things. Joseph didn't minimize the sin of his brothers, but seeing how their sin fitted into God's plan helped him to see that it wasn't just all about him and them. There was a bigger picture and it was God's bigger picture. Jesus, of course, had the same attitude. Even as he was being crucified, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Looking at God's bigger picture helped him to forgive the little players in the story, as evil as they were. If you can think of someone who's wronged you, perhaps you can try to see it that way and bring yourself around to Joseph's way of seeing things in the context of God's bigger picture. Looking back to God's providence helps us to make peace with our past and the people in it. And then looking forward to God's providence uh, and faith in the future. God is weaving a tapestry to make a picture that he has already planned. He's not making it up as he goes along. He knows exactly what he is doing and where he is taking things. He promised his people here in Genesis a land, the land of Canaan, a home for his people, a great nation, a people who were his people, and great blessing. Those were his promises. So whatever else was happening, that's where things would end up eventually. As the story of the Bible has unfolded since then, we've seen that the physical fulfillment of those promises in the history of Israel pointed to a much more ultimate fulfillment. And God sent Jesus to fulfill those promises eternally, a land, a people, a blessing. And so we're promised in the New Testament that in the end point of all things, uh, eventually everything will be brought under the rule of Christ, one way or another in judgment or in salvation, and God will deliver ultimately on these promises. Now that changes the way that we view our lives and our futures. I don't know what my path through this life will look like in the future, but I am a Christian, and so I know where it will end. I will end up with Christ amongst his people in a land of eternal blessing. And I know, my faith tells me, that God is working all things in and around me to get me to that destination. Maybe you will get coronavirus and die next week. I hope not. Or maybe you'll live to 110 with your grandchildren on your knees. But if you see your future in the light of God's providence, then you will know where all the possible paths of your life ultimately lead. God's promises guarantee that destination. Jacob's blessings of his sons in these chapters show, shows how trustworthy these promises are. In chapter 48, he blessed Ephraim, the younger, over Manasseh, the older. And history shows us how the tribe of Ephraim dominated in the generations to come, just as Jacob had foretold, had blessed. In chapter 49, he took the blessing away from his firstborn Reuben. And history shows us how the tribe of Reuben faded in the generations to come. 
But Jacob blessed Judah and made the following prediction, which leads us straight to Jesus Christ. Chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. In other words, a universal ruler and superabundance. And that's Jesus. God was building up a picture here of the destination to which he was leading all things. And our lives are now also part of that plan, part of that picture. So if you see, if that's how you see the future, how is it going to change the way that you live your life now? Well, you'll become more like Jacob and Joseph. Both those men told their families, I might live in Egypt now, but bury me in Canaan. Their vision was defined by God's promises. The future existed in God's promises. They wanted their lives and their families' lives to be aligned with God's plan. It wasn't just about them anymore. They were part of the bigger picture of what God was doing. I wonder whether that's how you see your future, as part of the bigger picture of what God is doing. And so what you do now will be oriented towards that. It's not just you and your personal interests. It's God and his plan. Practically, what that means for us, according to the Bible, is promoting the gospel through prayer and through work starting with passing the blessing to our families and the coming generations, but also spreading the blessing to our neighbours and to the nations. The reality is that it's not COVID-19 and it's not climate change that shapes the future of the world. It's the gospel that shapes the future of the world, the promises of God as his providence weaves all things together according to his plan. It includes things like climate change and COVID-19 and whatever else is happening in the world. But it's the gospel and God's promises that are driving history and determining the destination. When I toss a coin, the outcome is from the Lord and it's part of his plan. I won't try to toss it again now. Uh, a coin is tossed, it's from the Lord. Our lives are also part of his plan, which he began to reveal here in Genesis. So we are urged to see our lives in the light of God's providence and as part of this bigger picture. If you don't believe in God's providence, then you'll see little meaning to your past and little hope in your future, just randomness. But if you do believe that he rules all things with purpose, you can make peace with your past and have faith for the future. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can trust you to be working out your good plan through all things, including our lives. We pray that you would help us to see our past in the light of your providence and our future in the light of your providence and to see ourselves as part of that bigger picture. Thank you that we can trust you and we pray that uh, this profound truth would work its way into our minds as well as our hearts, as well as our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.